Welcome to the Nexodus podcast. We are picking up from Genesis chapter 36. And before we move forward, I think it's important for us to recap certain points so that as we move into this very important portion that is overlooked many times that I didn't hear a lot of teaching on growing up regarding the bloodlines, the people groups, and being able to trace it so that we understand the different personalities and textures and ways of being that are within the family dynamics. And chapter 36 helps transition from where Jacob is now older. He was able to reconcile himself, as we saw in chapter 35, with Esau, with his father. He was able to go back to Mamre, go back to the place where the highest vibration or the place where the Most High's blessing was orchestrated from his forefathers and to be able to step back into that currency, step back into that flow. It's almost like if you've been off for so many years on one track, it doesn't mean that the other track isn't proceeding or even vibrant or alive. It's just that you're not on that track or you're not on that frequency. But once you decide to align yourself, get back in alignment with the ways of the Most High, align yourself back to principle, then you can just step back in the currency. And that's when the Most High said, I will now restore to you the years that were lost, the years that the cankerworm, the palmer worm, the locust has eaten. I will restore it back to you. And that's the promise he's given to us, the descendants who have been dispersed throughout the diaspora. The Most High is saying, I am calling you back. That is the prophecy that was given in Ezekiel where he said the dry bones would live again. And he prophesied to the bones and there was a shaking and they came together. So we've been on this cyclical coming to the father, going off track, being abused, being in torment, being in captivities, and then coming back. And this one here that we're currently in is one of the last captivities. That's why the earth is responding the way it is. That's why things are being aligned from a scriptural standpoint to now. So we are just going back through the ancestral documentation so we can understand the ones who are chosen, those who are spread throughout the earth. And like I always say, it is not necessarily tied to a race. It is tied to a seed and a bloodline. Now, it does manifest into certain sectors of races or people groups, but it is more about a bloodline because there's been so many different factors. People have been mixing. People have traveled. There's so many different things that have happened that has caused it to be dispersed. But the most I said he would wake us up in these days and bring us back. So we're on a journey. We don't have all the answers. Like I said, the scriptures are fragmented. They are inspired, but there has been so many others who have come in and dictated and impressed, plagiarized, misinterpreted the scriptures, the scrolls in so many ways. But even through the fragments, even through the miscommunication, through the misinterpretation, he is coming through by the power of his spirit. That's why our savior said, my spirit will lead you into all truth. The spirit of the most high is the one who's leading us and bringing us back to the truth through the scriptures, through the Bible, through what they call the Apocrypha, through what they call the lost books, the books they said that didn't make it. The most high is gathering his seed and bringing us together. So we give thanks and praises for that. And I want to recap and go back a little bit because in chapter 36, we're going to be dealing with Esau and Esau is very important because he's the first person in the ancestral documentation, the account of Afro history, garden history, 
African history, Abu Kalan history of internal wars, the enemy from within. Now, he's the first account on a larger scale. We did have Cain. You see him being connected to Cain and a lot of his actions and the way he operated with his brother, Jacob. It was just that the Mosar or Akobi, firstborn of creation. The Yoruba language is Akobi, which means firstborn. Even in Exodus, it says, deliver my firstborn Akobi or Jacob. Or you can look at it by just taking off the J, because remember the J wasn't there, just like it wasn't there for Jesus is Yeshua or the Savior, because Yeshua is still has some interpretation issues there. So I'm expecting that the Most High will reveal his son's full name to us in these days. Just like it says in Revelation 19, that he who was riding on a horse, no one knew his name but himself. And he had it tattooed on his thigh, meaning that it was inscripted on him particularly and that he knew who he was and he had his name. So the power of the name is what's so important. And the Most High is going to reveal those things. So the names that we have, I think, is operating at a higher vibration as we get closer, as we begin to Valley of Dry Bones live again. Sinew upon sinew, nerve upon nerve as we begin to come together until the Most High comes and breathes his spirit on us. As the book of Jeremiah said, he'll take away the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh and he'll reveal all things to us. So this is a humbling experience that everything we have, we can't be so dogmatic about it because so much has been lost. So much has been stolen. So much has been burnt. So much has been captured. So much has been put away. But the Most High is gathering the nations. He's pulling them into the valley of Jehoshaphat, as he said he would. So as you see the nations converging on the garden, coming into the garden for new this and new that, there's always a deeper reason. That's why we have to walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh so that we can discern what is happening and make sure that we're in alignment with the ways of the Most High so that that frequency and that power can be revealed through us as his priest, as his chosen people, the royal priesthood, which we will go through shortly. So I want to swing back now and recap some of the things that we talked about in previous podcasts in Genesis 9, 24. After he had gotten drunk, he knew what his younger son had done to him. Now, the interpretation says Ham, but as we're doing more research, it appears that it's Japheth. A lot of the fragmentation and the brokenness in the scripture is causing us to take a deeper look at the context clues of what the Most High said, how things were written, the words that were used, and begin to see how, as Satan does, he comes in as an angel of light, like I always said in previous podcasts, some of it is just misinterpretation, like just imagine having to translate out of someone else's language. People are falling asleep, we're human, they missed the word, missed the letter, all that could be a part of it. And or can be and is or may be people were deliberately trying to deceive like Satan does. And if he's influencing a person, influencing a group of people, influencing anything, he always starts off with the word being somewhat true, but then mixing it. Deception. So once again, I go back to John chapter 16, where he talks about, I'm going to lead you into all truth. The spirit of the most high is leading us into all truth. So these here, like I said, some of the interpretations aren't matching up from the traditional ways of interpretation. And we're hoping that the most high will make things more clear, but we're going to just read through it as we understand it, as it's been written, but we'll make our adjustments and our commentary as we move along. So Noah 
awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son had done this to him. Ham and Ham being Gentile nations that are in the isles of European land. Younger son. If we look at younger son from a genetic standpoint, younger group, we can assess that on a couple different levels, knowing that Shem and Japheth are on the continent. And outside of scripture, we see that with Egypt or Kemet being many dynasties, civilization, strongest, one of the strongest empires in the world ever because it had influenced everyone. Even the Greeks came down because of its stability and its influence and impact because it was the firstborn. Mizraim would be the ultimate name because remember Japheth or as it's been inter interpreted in most modern translations, Ham was a progenitor of Cush, Misraim, Put, Canaan, those four. And Misraim is Egypt, that land, or Kemet, it's that area. So Misraim had so much that had been given to him. Same thing with Cush, because Nimrod came out of Cush. So Japheth, or as it's been written, Ham had so much power on the eastern part of the garden, whereas Shem was on the western part, where the Gold Coast is, where Yehuda land is, where um, Eber is still there, Peleg is still there, Noah is still there. Those names are still embedded in some of the cities in Niger, Burkina Faso, Nigeria, Padanaram, all those areas where Jacob and uh, Isaac spent time. And we went through that already. So just giving a little bit of a backdrop of some of the things that we talked about, because now we're coming at the end of Akobi or Jacob's life. So we went through Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and we've studied as much as we could in a very broad sense, but much more specific through their bloodlines, through their actions, what was happening, what was transpiring, because it continues to trickle down and we're going to follow the pathway as we continue to move forward into the next latter portions of the genealogies or the genesis, the genome, the generations, the beginnings of a people group that were chosen to be the interface between the Most High and a group of people to share and to be his representatives on the earth for the generations to teach them how to connect with the Most High, how to operate in nature, to move and how to do things. And what was Egypt? What was Timbuktu? It was a center for those things. That's why the Greeks came, then the Romans came, then there was so much convolution that it became a, a battle to take. And we see it to this day that the resources of the garden is taken at such high levels, but the people who are the actual representatives and those who are assigned by DNA to the land cannot touch the garden, cannot touch it because of our own doing. Now, this is where it's going to become very different and we have to grow up and look at the realities and get our autonomy back mentally first. As my brother Bob would say, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our mind. And that's what the Most High is doing. He's wanting to free our minds. So we are going to spend a little time doing a recap and then we're going to move into the other chapters and begin to approach it and understand it from this perspective as the Most High gives us the grace to understand it. Genesis chapter 9, 24. 
Noah's awakened. His younger son had done to him. Then he woke up and look at him say it three times. Genesis 9.25. Then Noah said, cursed be Canaan. He didn't say cursed be Ham, a.k.a. Japheth. He said, cursed be Canaan. Who was Canaan? Canaan was the last son of Ham. Canaan was the last son. So he went for the final seed and told him that you would be a servant. It wasn't a curse like you're less than. It doesn't mean you're not a human. He wasn't that angry. He was just upset with what had happened. And because he had such a high vibration that everything that he spoke, it, be, it became creative power to the seed level and its generations. He set him in a certain space, just like you have in all cultures. But I'll just use Indian culture for the best example of a caste system. They have the untouchables, which are usually melanated peoples or darker people or Dravidians, Asiatic Afro peoples. If we want to tap into that, um, I won't go into that detail too much, but those are the untouchables, the un that's the forbidden caste, that's the lower caste system. The lighter you are, the more higher you are in society, the lower you are, the less you are in society. That's around the globe, period. Because of these particular things that I'm going to be sharing with you that we as a people have to come to grips with if we're going to see the freedom that the Most High is about to release on the earth in a higher quantity it may be just a few because he said it's only going to be a third it only be a portion because most have been for generations submitted to these fallen ideals philosophies spirits people groups ideologies thought processes isms all of those things play a role in the way that we see ourselves and after a while once you've taken on the word in that form it does begin to move into your thought processes that you then pass to generation to generation three to four generations the sins of the father will be passed down to the third and fourth generation then if it's not corrected that multiplies itself so then after a while you begin to think something or become something that you wasn't originally made to become but the power of the spirit the power of the anointing the power of the unction of his children as priests is to have the anointing to break the yoke that's why he said i come to teach good news, I set the captives free. I heal the sick. I, I, those who are at liberty, I set them free. That was the power of the anointing that you could be in generations, three, four, 15, 20, 30 generations deep into a certain thought process that's outside of the original manuscript as the Most High created. But if a person or a people who are called by his name will humble themselves and get back in alignment, he will heal the land. And as a result of the land, he will heal you and heal your people. So it's so important if you're separated from the land, you are eons away from your power. You're eons away from your deliverance. You have to get back to the land. And it first starts in the mind, emancipating yourself mentally. So in, we, we move now to Genesis chapter nine, verse 26. Blessed be the most high, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant May the Most High enlarge Japheth and dwell in the tents of Shem. So that's why I say what I say about Japheth and Shem dwelling together and then Ham being on the outskirts because you're still seeing the residue or the effect or the impact of Ham in his actions and in the names of the cities and of the people, whether it be Nottingham, Birmingham, so forth and so on. You see it in those spaces and in the actions that are taken by those types of people. Thus, why 
uh, Noah pronounced certain things the way he did. And while there might be some perjury of the scriptures to maneuver it in a way to not allow certain prophecies to come to pass. But the most high is moving regardless of what we think or how we interpret things or how it may be seen or how you may try to invoke some sort of, oh, this is hate speech or this is that or this is if we wanted to really look into that and look into the truth, we could destroy all of those ideals because there's been so much hatred placed throughout the earth realm toward different indigenous people groups that we're not even going to get into that. But the truth will stand as it's supposed to. And the Most High's word is above all. And he will set the record straight. That's the beautiful thing that if we put our trust in him and we walk according to his ways, he said, I will fight the battles. We haven't given the Most High a chance because we haven't understood that the problem that we are experiencing that we've had in the beginning is of our own doing. And that's what we're setting this backdrop up to begin to study and to look at ourselves and how we played a role in our own captivity and our own enslavement, even though that's difficult to grasp, depending on where you are in the captivity, where you are in the enslavement, whether you're in the continent, off the continent, we all have our different ways and perspectives we've been through and how we went through it was hideous and very difficult. So I'm not trivializing it in any way. I know it's a very sensitive subject, but we have to see that everything that happens and it's proven throughout time that there was always some sort of collaboration on the inside that opened the door for the outsiders, period. And we're seeing that here. And that's who Esau represents. And that's who Cain represented. And that's what we're talking about. So he said in 27, enlarge Japheth, and he will dwell with Shem and make Canaan be a servant. So we're seeing from the beginning in 25, curse be Canaan, servant of a servant. Then he says, Canaan, he will be his servant to Shem. And then you will be a servant to Japheth. So Canaan is supposed to be a servant to Japheth. That's 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 what we see. That's what is been pronounced. Now, once again, like I said, a lot of the scriptures have been fragmented. So there's so many portions that we don't understand and can't be emphatic about who this people group is. And this people group is this on certain portions. We have a pretty strong understanding and idea of what it is. But the most I say, I'm putting away with all that I'm going to do a new thing. But we need to just overstand these concepts and these principles and how the Most High genetically made us and what has been done in the past so that we understand the human history, where we are. And as we walk in alignment, he said, I'm going to do things new. I'm going to make get rid of all of these tribes and so forth and so on and make one people, my people, which will include or will include all groups of people. And that's what Christianity was trying to mimic a people group and the people group is spread throughout the earth. Now, as far as there being people outside of the people group, of course, the Most High created everybody, but he created everything to do certain things and to be certain things. And some people or people groups took hold of that and wanted to be something that they're not and forced their way in. And that's what we're going to see in the early stages of the Afro experience in our history and begin to understand where the, the systemic issues are, where we have betrayed, hated, killed, enslaved, lied amongst ourselves, and we became weaker from within because a house divided against itself can't stand. Then the other nations came in and we haven't been able to recover ourselves, but that's what the reset is about. That's what 
our savior was saying when he came to try to reconcile us, he said, listen, this is going to happen regardless. And these are the things that are going to happen when these sorts of changes are coming to pass. And then he begins to let you know that things will always get worse before it gets better. We see a lot of things happening even in our current society, whether it be climate change, global warming, the 2030 shift change or the big agendas. All these different things are couched in political terms and human philosophies and agendas. But the Most High's word is what's driving all of this, just like the sun is what drives time. That's why we do daylight savings time. All those are man-made rules based on the ultimate rule, which is what the Most High says, that the sun is of the day, moon for the evening. And that's the time. And once we get back to nature, get back to the land, get back to those principles, universal law, the ways of the Most High, that's what I'm talking about. Not religion, not the ways of religion, but the Most High does use this precious artifact, this book, this documentation, these accounts, these stories, these scrolls to help give us an idea of what he purposed in the beginning so that we can align ourselves properly. So I want to do a small recap on Esau before we jump into chapter 36, just to give a framework of who Esau is, the decisions he's made and how those decisions have gone throughout time. It's still impacting us today, but we see it all the way up into the Savior's time in the New Testament. Through it all, we're going to trace Esau because once we understand those concepts, we're going to realize like, whoa, we are our own worst enemy and we have to get ourselves back in order, realize who's on our side and who isn't, who's on the most high side, who isn't, who is for the enemy and who isn't. So then we can position ourselves better for the most high to come in and realign things by the power of his glory and his majesty. And he said, I want you to speak my name amongst the Gentiles, speak my name among the nations, and I will rise up, let the most high rise and his enemies be scattered. Let all that hate him flee is the scripture. So we are in alignment, realigning ourselves from generations past that has been off. And we've been just putting ourselves before the father and asking him to heal us, asking him to set us free. And he's been doing that. And we're seeing the impact not only in our personal lives, but in a global scale. And that's how I look at the news. I look at it to practically live, to understand what's going on in just common history and then biblical, historical reference history and seeing the through lines and aligning myself as the most high gives insight, as the most high gives purpose, as the most high gives direction, as he gives revelation. As the spirit will lead us, as we see in John chapter 14 through 16, that speaks about that in more detail. So in Genesis chapter 25, we see the first incident of when the birthright was sold. Esau sold his birthright. And, and this this particular account would possibly be at the same time when Esau had just came back from killing Nimrod. He saw Nimrod and he killed Nimrod and some of his men. And it was very intense because these were, once again, high, high level human beings. Nimrod was a high level human being that was a part of the line of Cush, the first born of Japheth. So this is a high pedigree. You talk about uh, royalty. This was royal seed wars. As we see in European history, the Queen of England. If you go on Google and see how much land 
and territory they covered, that was bigger than the United States. United States is a baby of England. So United States is not the largest and the most powerful country in all the world. It depends on how you are defining power. Now, military might, weaponry in one way or another, that's debatable. And that's probably more true. But as far as having influence and being able to control the nations, the English through the monarchy was able to do that because they moved by kingdom principles. Whether we agree with how they did it or when they did it and the stuff that came from it, that's another conversation. I'm just speaking from an objective standpoint and relating it back to what is happening here. Esau was of a royal bloodline. He was the son of Isaac. That's royalty. So he's going to have impact. Whatever he does is going to prosper, whether it be for good or for evil for the people or not. And we're seeing that Esau used his influence, used his power for personal gain, for fleshly desires, for vanity. And that's why he wasn't the prime candidate to carry on the seed as the Most High planned it from Noah all the way down to Abram and to Isaac and now Jacob. So he had come from the field in verse 29, Genesis 25, verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew or Akobi cooked a stew and Esau came from the field and was weary, meaning he was hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name is called Edom Red stew so that's where edom came from and we won't go into that too much but jacob we move down to verse 31 but jacob said sell me your birthright and in verse 34 it says and and akobi or jacob gave esau bread and the stew of lentils then he ate and drank and arose and went his way thus esau despised his birthright esau didn't care about no birthright i don't care about being a progenitor to keep the family going i'm doing me <laughs> i'm a man of the field I'm out here and I'm ready to roll. That was the energy that he came with. So then we look Genesis chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basmith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And in verse 35, it says, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So that is the first sign we see of division in the family based on who he was marrying because they understood it in that cultural context. And I won't go into it in much detail because I talked about it in the last podcast where the marriage was about procreation and continuing of the seed line so that the, the promise can be fulfilled of your seed being as the sand of the seashore. So if that being the case and they see that Esau is mixing with the Hittites, who was the Hittites? The Hittites were from the bloodline of Heth. Heth was who? He was the second son of Canaan. What did we just read about Noah? They knew this. That's why it became a grief of mine. They're like, why are you mixing with the servant? They're, that's their position. Our family has pushed them and our forefather Noah, who was the highest level of human anatomy, has pronounced it and the Most High gave him that power to be of that caliber and you're choosing to go with them. And this is where Rebecca was like, he's not even following the ways of the Most High. He's not even walking according to the covenant. But this was his blood brother. This was a twin of Akobi. Now, once again, with translation, Exodus says that Akobi or Jacob is my firstborn. But if you read other translation of the scripture, it says that Esau is the firstborn. So we have to 
wrestle with these complications to one way or another. And the most high has to give discernment. That doesn't contradict the scriptures to me. That doesn't make me feel like, oh, the scriptures aren't real or the scriptures are false and da da da. I just know human beings touched it. So if human beings touched it, I know how to read the most high has been able to share and teach by his grace how to read through the scriptures. And he has to give you the insight. The most high has to reveal the word to you still. He has to give you the, as they say, there's a logos word, which is just the written. Then there's the rhema. If you don't have a combination of both, you're not going to be able to discern the scriptures. You're just going to regurgitate the doctrines of men, which our savior said makes the word to what? No effect. A lot of times the word is made to no effect. That's why it's not impacting us because it's false or it's been mistranslated or there's been deception involved in it. And the most high is the only one who can give us the insight to be able to see that. So there was a grief of mind. And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing? My father, bless me, O father. Now we're getting into Genesis chapter 27. So in 26, we see that Esau married into a different bloodline, which was still Afro people's people from the garden, still Japheth or Ham's side. It's still on the side of Ham. And I'll just stick with Ham for now. It's very difficult for me to do that, but I always want to have that interchangeability. And if you've been paying attention to the podcast, you'll understand why I allow it because it's written there and I don't want to confuse people too much. But I am of the persuasion that that is the Japheth and Shem who are on the east and western parts of the garden. And that Japheth, um, and, and we can see in Genesis chapter 10, verse 21, after he talked about the, the different genealogies of the generations for each of the three sons, then it says in 21 that Shem was the father of Eber, which is, if you look into the literal translation, is Heber or the Hebrews, if we want to use that term, not the Hebrew as we know it now, but Eber. And then it says, who is the brother of Japheth, the elder son? Why didn't it say anything about him? And then we see in Genesis, once again, 927, that Japheth and Shem shall dwell in the same tents together. That means they will be in the same vicinity. So we're seeing so many contradictions, but at the same time, some clarity as to who is who so that we can determine what has happened and what is happening. So it was a grief of mine to them. Now we fast forward. Isaac is getting old. He wants to pass the, the word, the blessing to his seed. Rebecca was aware of this. She's like, hey, you've married into those seed lines. I'm going to figure it out. I know it's not the best way to do it, but I'm, the most I know is my heart. And I'm going to salvage this to make it right so that things stay in the right stead. And the most high is, as we see, even though we may do things that are off, things that are not necessarily completely truthful, he still will honor that and help get things aligned for his divine purpose if your intention and heart is in the right space because because of sin because of our brokenness we're going to miss the mark and do things that could be contrary or are contrary but if we are being faithful if we're being intentional toward his righteousness toward his ways he looks through that and we see that on behalf of rebecca because she told him to jacob or akobi i'm going to make the food do this change this do this and you're going to present yourself as your brother and you're going to get the blessing and that's it you're going to be the lead because i see how you move you haven't taken from the other women 
you want to be with our people. This is the book of Jasher that gives a little bit more insight into the mindset of Jacob when he would or Akobi when he would talk to his mom saying, I'm not going to marry those women. You don't have to worry about that. I'm going back to my own house. I'm staying in the ways of our forefathers. But Esau was opposite because he was out there warring and had more exposure. It's almost like Esau lived or was like out in the city and Akobi was more of a rural individual who was going to take care of the farm and be at the house and we're going to give you the blessing because your brother's going to squander it. It's, it's a similar sort of setup, but Esau didn't like that because he wanted his cake and eat it, not knowing that earlier he already said, I don't care about none of that stuff. I'll give you the birthright. You can have the farm. You can have the house. Da, da, da. I'm going on. I'm going to the city. That's basically what that is in modern times as we read through the scriptures. So it's important to be able to interpret that human nature is always the same and never changes. Human beings never change. We just take different forms or we may say it a little differently depending on what type of mindset we're under or type of influences we are under but at the end of the day a seed is going to do what a seed is going to do a lion is always going to be a lion a snake is always going to be a snake a person and human beings will always be human beings so if you study the human nature and how people operate it and that's why we're taking the time to do that we begin to understand more about ourselves understand more about the nations understand more about how people operate and where things are going so that we can plan and move accordingly as the most High continues to reveal it to us so in verse 27 of chapter 27 verse 39 then isaac his father answered and said behold you are this is the blessing after he realized he wasn't going to get it he wept he was like oh father please can you bless me too and he said this is the blessing i have for you behold this is verse 39. Behold, your dwelling shall be a fatness of the earth, shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. So he still was blessed. He was still a royal seed. He was just like I told you about the whole cursed be Canaan. The curse was only that you're not going to rule. You're going to be a servant or subservient to your brothers. It wasn't you are less than a person or you talked about his genealogy in any way. So that was a misnomer that was used. That was a deception that was used to enslave Afro peoples and just a lot of mix up. But the Most High is setting the record straight. And that's what I love about the father, that he is setting the record straight and putting us in position to thrive and to be autonomous as he's been protecting and keeping our seed. As you can see, the nations have already written us off. We're not even involved in any of the conversations when you go to a lot of these G sevens and twelves and all these different governmental organizations that they've created they put us in g77 which is a, a conglomerate of 135 quote-unquote developing nations according to the un which is still a part of the european ideologies and the eu and the united states and all these different groups of people who are governing the commerce governing the ways and the thought processes of our societies on a large scale but the Most High has a way of doing things that will confound the wise. He said, I will do things in your day that even the ears of those that hear it will tingle. They wouldn't believe it. So that's what we've been praying. That's what we have been aligning for. We are trusting because we come from a royal priesthood. We are a peculiar people. And the Most High is raising us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we are going to walk in those alignments as we proceed into these next levels. So. We look in chapter 27, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob 
or Akobi because of the blessing with which he had blessed him. What was that blessing? Let's jump back. I want to go back one second. Uh, Genesis 27 verse 40. By your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. No one wants to serve. What? Esau, I'm going to serve Akobi or Jacob. I'm going to serve him. No, I'm not. This is internal wars. This is how it began. These are the beginnings of that. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from off your neck. So you're going to have your own freedom. You're going to have your own autonomy, but you're going to have to serve your brother. And Esau, who was one of the most powerful, who just destroyed Nimrod, the same one that was fighting with Abram, his grandfather. He's like me, a man of the field who I what I can handle the bow or the gun. I'm in the streets, whatever you want to. However you want to look at that from a modern point of view. He was not having that. So he hated Jacob, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, you have to understand, see the language there. Just like when Satan, when Isaiah got that revelation of Satan saying in his heart that he was going to be like the most high. Satan was able to get in and trick him again like he had tricked Cain. Cain, that same energy. Remember Cain, it says, why has your countenance fallen? Countenance was, if you look at the Hebrew, Hebrew is not the original language, but that's another conversation. Once again, you have to remember everything is out of order. The book of Psalms says that all the foundations, Psalm 82, all the foundations of the earth are out of order, are out of whack. So everything we're getting is questionable in one way or another. But yet still, like I said, there's fragments, fingerprints, heavenly residue in the scripture that is inspired, that is real. And that's how the Most High is picking up the pieces, piece by piece, and he's drawing it together. So that's what we must study to show ourselves approved. That's why I studied the Apocrypha. That's why I studied the Book of Enoch. That's why I studied these other books of Judith and Maccabees and such to find the through lines, the Bible, the, the canon that the Bible has, but also circulating it through to see where it doesn't contradict and where it can be helpful sources to help us understand what was lost, what is, what isn't and how to realign ourselves. So that's a whole process in itself. And that's what we're doing here in these Nexodus. That's what we do with Out of Asham. And that's what we'll continue to do as the Most High gives us the strength and the ability to do so. So in verse 41, he said in his heart, my days of my father are at hand. After that, I'm going to kill my brother. When Rebecca heard about this going down, she said, listen, you need to go to my brother Laban in Haran. And we've already talked about that, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But Haran... Sarah, Saharan, Sarah, Haran. These lands are all in the area of the garden, a.k.a. Africa. This is all happening on the continent. We are not off of the continent. And then in verse 44, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. That heat, that rage, the, the word that came, there was venom, poison. He was that angry. I mean, that anger was at a high level. So in verse 45, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Because she knew how Esau get down and that when I'm not going to lose my husband and both my sons. No, you need to go to my brother's house. Go there. He's going to take care of you. Mom was in there interceding. The mothers are always there to bring the peace, to keep the family together. This is what's happening. We've been doing this. Our mothers have been doing this from our early, early mamas and Rebecca 
till now. So we're seeing that power operate. And verse 46, and Rebecca said to Isaac, now she's going to the father, back to the, the, the lead. Because remember, he was blind. He couldn't see. He was on his way out. But he still was the, the chosen one of that three-peat of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Jacob. So Rebecca said to Isaac, Jacob's father, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth or Heath, which is the Hittite, second sons of Canaan. If Jacob takes a wife from these daughters of Heath, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good is my life to me? She made it a bloodline thing. And in previous podcasts, we go into more detail, but we'll keep it moving. She made it a bloodline because that's what it was about. And Esau had already married into them. And Esau is about that. So she knew that. And Jake, Jacob hasn't. I'm sending him off. That's the reason why I'm sending him off. But she didn't tell him that it was because of the death warrant that he was being pursued by his brother. And she was like, hey, I know how to work my husband and I know how to work all of them because I'm the one who's running everything anyway. And she worked it out to save the whole situation. Did she make all the right moves? No. But did she make the best moves within the context? It worked. <laughs> So in Genesis chapter 36, now we get down to where we are in the scriptures. I needed to do that backdrop. I know it's a lot, but I'm going to just spend time on 36 and then we'll run chapters 37 through 40 in our next podcast. In chapter 36, verse two, it says Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan. Adad, this is more wives he's getting now. So on top of the Judith and the other ones that we read about, He's now taking some more wives from the Canaanites. So he was really maneuvering in the areas that were supposed to be for servants. He was dampening or weakening his seed in one way or another. Not necessarily from the way we understand things in the West where a racial standpoint. It was more of a contextual cultural standpoint, a philosophical and spiritual DNA standpoint as the Most High had set in order and as their forefathers had set in order in their pronouncements i.e. what Noah has said about Canaan, so forth and so on. They weren't supposed to mix with them. That's why Abraham didn't. That's why Isaac didn't. Jacob didn't. But Esau said, I'm going to. And Esau is representative of what we would call in certain instances in, in modern times as a house versus the field Negro, right? Or the one who collaborates, who is a part of the system and hates their brother. And it's a sellout or they call Uncle Tom. All these terms we use, that's Esau. That's the energy of Esau. Esau was that person. So it's not a color thing. It's a spirit, action, character thing. So we see here he married Adah, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So he loved the Hittites, the Abumana, the daughters of Anan, the daughters of Zeboim, the Hittite. Once again, that was the second son of Canaan. And then he took Bashmath, verse 3, 36-3. Bashmath, Ishmael's daughter. Who was Ishmael? Ishmael was Hagar, which was a concubine of Abram, his grandfather. And Hagar is from the east, not Canaan, but from Misraim, which was the second son of Ham, aka Japheth, but Ham. Ham had four sons. He had Cush, who was a 
the father of Nimrod. He had Mizraim, which is the line from which Hagar came from. And Hagar was the one who had Ishmael. So he tied himself into another seat line in the Japheth regime or in the Japheth spaces. So Esau was spreading his seed throughout all the nations. And then you see he even mixed himself all the way into the other lands, the Gentile lands and so forth and so on. So you have Esau everywhere and you still see the energy of Esau that is mixed amongst all the nations. And those are the individuals who were willing to sell out or Esau was the individual who was willing to kill his brother for the vanity of it. Not because, oh, I'm supposed to be the lead to lead our people forward. It was like, no, nah, you took my thing. I'm supposed to use that to pay for this house or to pay for this thing or to rule this nation. And we're going to see that same energy find itself in the New Testament. And we'll be getting there shortly. But I wanted to underscore. And then we go through all of his bloodline. And remember, he was just as rich as Jacob. Because remember, when they, they reconnected with each other, he had 400 of his men. And Jacob gave him over a million dollars in restitutional payment for what he thought was still being held against him from what happened in the past. And they somewhat dealt with that, but it was never completely gone because we see the wars between Esau and Jacob throughout time, the Edomites and so forth and so on. So that thing was never completely salvaged. But at that particular time period, the Most High calmed the situation and there wasn't as much war internal wars amongst each other so remember these wars were starting internally and we're going to see more of that when we go into genesis chapter 37 when we see one of the first enslavements that was amongst each other and then if you see in modern times before slavery took off into the 15th 16th 17th century when the european slave trade began it started with the arab slave trade or the sahara sarah and haran slave trade but it had begun way 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 back to what we're going to read about amongst jacobs or Akobis, the firstborn's sons so let's keep it moving in verse 30 in chapter 36 verse 6 and esau took his wives his sons his daughters and all the persons of his house his cattle and all his beasts and all his substance which he had gotten in the land of canaan and went from the face of his brother he's like i'm tired i'm off of y'all verse 7 for their riches were more than what they might have to dwell together so they were just like with lot way back lot dealing with abram they went separate ways because both of them were blessed the most high blessed them because they were still of the seed line so you can be as the scripture says in corinthians that you can be a dishonorable gold vessel so you can be a dishonorable person but gold you can be an anointed cherub but wicked satan was the anointed cherub that's why you see the heaviness of the influence of how he can move even through music because he was the anointed cherub that had instruments in his body but he was a false anointing meaning it was on the other side you can be a vessel of gold a vessel of bronze a vessel of silver this is in the book of corinthians and it's vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor so the vessel isn't the question it's the intention in the heart and the way you operate is what's going to determine whether you are honorable or whether you're dishonorable so we move on for their riches were more than they might dwell together in the land wherein they were. They were strangers, could not bear them both for their cattle. Thus, verse eight, thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. So Esau began to do his own thing. 
create his own way. In verse nine, it says, and these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. So he established himself and he began to build his, his family line and they just began to multiply because he had so many wives and, you know, he had high testosterone. He was a man, man. He was an alpha male, very strong. And then we jump down to verse 19. These are the sons of Esau, who is Edom. So we keep bringing up that Edom to let you know who he is. And that was already established earlier when he sold his birthright. And these are the dukes of Edom. And then we go into all of who the dukes are. And so he had royalty in his bloodline in different groups of people who were Afro or melanated peoples. So how would you know the difference? You're going to know it by their seed. Know it by their names, know it back in that time. But how do we know now? You're going to know it more by their fruit. That's what the Savior said. He said, you will know them by their fruit. So now I want to fast forward to Matthew about Esau. And then I'm going to close after this. We look at Matthew chapter two and it says in verse chapter two, verse one. Now, after the Savior, Yeshua, was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, who was Herod the king is going to be really important. And we're going to talk about who Herod was because he was of the sea line of Indumia or Edom, meaning he was a great, 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 great grandson of Esau. He was a puppet individual who was put in place to maintain the order of Roman rule in the province of Judea. So like in the state of Judea, he was a mayor or whatever. And this is not to say that all mayors are Esau, but in, in a lot of the cases, our presidents, our leaders, because they have sided and are not aligned with the Most High or with their ancestors or with their people, but it's more aligned corporately, aligned in other ways, they become, they are a part of that bloodline, a part of that type of energy, the Esau energy. Because we're seeing that spirit manifest in the bloodline and in the actions of Herod. So let's keep moving forward. And behold, my wise men from the east came to Jerusalem or came to the, the holy city, which we are seeing more and more that Jerusalem was in South Africa, in Cape Town area or Namibia and that Kalahari desert, which is now desolate because the scripture said Jerusalem would become desolate, but he wouldn't make it. He would revive it again. And there's so many things happening on the outskirts to let us know that we are becoming more clear on where Jerusalem is from a scriptural standpoint and from our uh, vantage point. So once again, like I said, not to here to argue with anybody, but this is Jerusalem, according to the scriptures, as we're beginning to peel it all the way back and seeing where the real Jerusalem is. And most of that comes from Genesis chapter two. And then fast forward to Abram, Genesis chapter 13, after he had left Egypt or Misraim or Kemet, he went south. Makes sense. Let's move forward. Verse two. Saying, where is he? This is so the, the wise men came from, to Jerusalem in verse two. Where is he who was born king of the Hebrew or Eber? Where is he who was born of Eber of Shem line of Shem? Who is Eber or Hebrew? king of the hebrews now it was after translations different people groups uh moving from the hebrew to the aramaic to the ink from the greek to the english you you have jews now so every translation things were being shifted being moved there was all kind of things going on but we'll we'll stick with i wanted to just say that 
but we're going to just read through now and we're not going to delve into the the hermeneutics and the semantics and things of that nature in this particular podcast so he said who is he born king of the jews well, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship in verse three now when herod the king heard this he was troubled he was troubled why because what hold on i'm gonna lose my kingdom i'm gonna lose my power someone is coming who the real king is coming this is prophecies being fulfilled we got to figure this out so what did he do you see here it says when herod the king heard this he was troubled and all jerusalem with him who's all jerusalem those who were put in place as leadership, the chief priest, the high priest, the, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of those different people groups that were put in place to replicate the priesthood of Second Peter 2, 9, the priesthood of the tribes of Akobi or the chosen, the firstborn. They were put there as a mimic or as a, a, a masquerade, a forefront, a forfeit, a fake, a political alliance. That was under the power of Rome so that they could still maneuver the people, the firstborn that were in the captivities that were in the Roman rule in the Roman cities and keep them under control. And you guys can still do what you do as a people, but we are going to give you our, your leaders. That's that's what we've seen. That's a Roman practice. And we see that happening because all of these nations, most of the European nations are the outskirts or the residue of the roman empire whether you look in dc you see the city way set up with the stones and the, the rule and the law it's roman influence that's why we use roman numeral roman greek letters the different types of groups this is all connected but it started way back in edom esau herod all these bloodlines never stop remember human beings never stop so it's all the same thing and if you understand that then you can know historically where things are and you can stand in authority and begin to maneuver properly and separate yourself from some of these practices some of these things some of these concepts and walk in the divine kingdom authority and see the most high come out on our behalf that's what we're learning and we're seeing it in real time and it's a beautiful thing to experience uh, this type of freedom that starts mentally first and then it will continue to manifest into the physical as the most high reveals his power in verse four and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, see, he had to gather all the people. Those were the ones who were being troubled in Jerusalem. In verse three, Herod, the king heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Who are them? So he went, he went to them who were troubled and them are who? The chief priests, the scribes, the people came together and inquired of them, the astrologers, the ones who by the nature was able to read that the, the savior was born. So they were operating in spiritual spaces, astronomy, astro astrological spaces. And they were like, you got to let us know what's going on so that we can go and put an end to this, basically. That's the meeting that they had. So the Roman appointed priesthood was given the false sense of authority to stop the true priesthood that was being birthed. That's why the Savior always talked about he was trying to gather the people so that they can reinstitute the power that the Most High gave them from the beginning that they lost all the way back in that ancestral area that we've been in, which is the Genesis. So now you're seeing the importance of understanding the old quote unquote Testament so that you can fully interpret and understand the New Testament and then understand where we are right now and how we need to align. So that's the purpose of all of this. Second Peter 2.9, what does it say? You are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people 
called out of darkness into marvelous light. So in verse five, it says, so they said to him in Bethlehem or of Judea, it is written by the prophet, but behold, Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel or FBCs, which stands for firstborn of creation or Akobi, which means firstborn in Yoruba. Jacob, take off the J like you would with Yeshua, Jesus, and you find Akob, Akobi, same thing. We're seeing the, the fingerprints and we're following the pathways and things are beginning to make more sense. So the prophecy said that out of Bethlehem, the land of Judea, the least of all rulers, Judah. So he's a lion from the tribe of Judah, the savior. And where did most of the slaves come from? They came from Yehuda or Judah land. Look at the older maps, DavidRamsey.com. The older maps, the Gold Coast. Why would it be gold there? Because that's Judah's land. And that's why most of those who were enslaved in captivities who were brought into the Americas were of a Judah seed of a royal seed, royal priesthood. How were they able to survive through all of these captivities, through all the lynching, through all of the persecution? because of the seed line. This is a beautiful thing. This is a glorious thing that's happening that even though it looks so bad on the outside, we are seeing the most high supernatural fingerprints being like an eruption from a, from the, from a seed level, from a vibrational level and saying, look at the signs and I am awakening my people. I will do the work. So we speak forth into the airways right now that the most I will continue to do his work in his people all over the globe. Those who were in the captivities, those who were in the enslavement, how are you still alive? Because you are of the royal seed that the most High promised Abraham that your seed will dwell forever and that he would bring you back to the land. Genesis chapter 15 and that he's going to judge the nation. So he's judging the nation. So when you start to see things falling apart, don't look at it from a political standpoint. Don't look at it from an economical standpoint. Look at it from spiritual lens and then operate financially, then operate politically. Always spirit first, spirit, root, fruit. The spirit is first. It causes the physical root and out of the root, fruit comes out of roots. That is what we see in nature. That is the way the most I said it. So once we begin to move in that type of mindset, move in that mentality, you'll see the glory of the father revealed. Such a beautiful time. And you, we see an example of this this enslavement of king class remember this is a royal seed in internal battles you see that of of king classes even with nebuchadnezzar what did he do he went for the royal seed daniel he went for the best and then changed their names from daniel to betrasaz or shadrach meshach and abednego they were given babylonian names where did the romans learn that from where did the americans learn that from that our names are john and our names are all these different names to colonize, we call it colonization now, but it's the same thing. These things have been happening. America's not the first to do these things. They saw the playbook, picked it up and, and continued it. But it's the same thing. And it's always involving an Esau, a Cain, a collaborator who was able to get at, say, a Malcolm X, someone on the inside. I mean, <laughs> however you want to do it, even in pop cultural spaces, is always someone from the inside. How did Patrice Lumumba, how did Dr. Martin Luther King how did these things happen? It has to involve internal conflict. 
divide and conquer. Well, how do we know who's beefing with who? And then we'll side on both sides in different ways till we can move. That has been the strategy. And they use missionary, mercenary, military. These are the ways that these things happen. And until we can begin to think more logically and get back into spirit space of understanding, we will constantly be in the throes of captivities and brokenness, deprivation, gentrification, lack, so forth and so on. But the Most High is coming with freedom. If you say, if you follow me, I will give you the dew of heaven because that's what's been promised to your ancestors. So in Matthew chapter two, verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly secret, here we go again, these secret meetings called the wise men and determined from them what time the star appeared. So he wanted to do some research. He, he was courting them like, oh, come into Yeah, we, we love you. Let, let me learn more about this. Because what did he say? He said in verse eight, he sent them, but they were already gone. So he didn't really send them. But that's the way the wicked operates. That's the way collaborators who are trying to keep their stance in their space would try to appear like they're with you so that's why we need discernment so we don't get caught up with people who think they can play you and and get over on you because they have their own agendas and he said unto them as you're going to bethlehem go and search out this matter carefully right and go go get the young child and when you find him bring him back bring me word so i can come and worship him as well and go esau there goes that bloodline and then we go down to verse nine when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in east went before them. So they were following nature and the Most High was guiding them. And they came and it stood over the child. We see that in the book of Jasher that the same thing happened with Abram. So this is not a new thing, but it wasn't Jasher wasn't put in the book, the canon or the measure or the book. He didn't make the cut of the Bible as we see it today. The Old Testament didn't allow Jasher in there, but Jasher's name is in the book. Jasher's in the book of Joshua, it's in the book of Chronicles. Jasher was referred there, but why didn't they bring him in? For their own agenda. So that's why when we're reading the scriptures, we have to know how to read it, how to approach it, and allow the Most High to interpret the scripture and let scripture interpret itself. But Jasher helps us understand that a star was involved in Abram's thing as well, and Nimrod didn't like that. And Esau knew that because Esau killed Nimrod and passed down that information to their seed and they kept that information in their societies and their groups, whether it be secret societies or whatever, and they knew this information. So Herod is trying to tap into these wise men, knew how to talk to him and say, hey, look, I wanna do it as well. I wanna serve him, so let me know. But his, that wasn't his goal, why? Because we see here in verse 12, Matthew chapter two, then being divinely warmed in a dream, they, meaning, the wise men should not go back to Herod. Do not return to him, but go to your country and go another way. Travel a different route. And then in verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Most High appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, so Most High speaks through dreams, speaks through visions, speak through that um, spiritual space in our mind, in our intangible spaces. He gives you inkling, gives you intuition, or people say, trust your gut. My gut, all that, the Most High speaks in those areas. So we need to be sensitive to those areas. Let your emotion that, that's picking up energy be a sensor for you, but not use it to guide your life. But it's very helpful in those spiritual spaces. And that's a, a discipline that has to be learned and cultivated. And the Most High has to help teach us how to use the different dimensions of our being to tap in and to live in those 
dual spaces as we always do, spirit and in the flesh. We always do. We just been conditioned to think one way or another to surpass or to numb or calcify the spiritual portion and misuse the emotion to only gratify flesh. And that's what Esau was. And that's what the Esau spirit or the Esau seed people's mentality is the same thing. So we see here arise with the young child and his mother and flee to where? Egypt or Mithraim. Isn't that the same place that Abraham started? Isn't that the same place they all go is to go back to that particular place? Why? Because the civilization was great there. And that's the pathway whenever there was trouble that you go there. So once again, our savior went to Egypt, which is where close to the garden, which is modern day Uganda, Burundi, Rwanda, Kenya, Egypt. All that area is holy land. It's on the continent. That's why I said, go back there, go down. Go down, flee down, go to Egypt. And we talked about that in previous podcasts, not going down from um, the Levant or up in what they now call the Middle East, which is still a part of the, the Garden or aka Africa. But because of political jurisdiction and lines that were created and different demarcations that have been marked up in the Garden, um, the Most High said he's going to judge that as well. And Joel, too, he said, you divided my land. So I'm going to call you into the Valley of Jehoshaphat, as I was talking about earlier. That's in Joel, too, where the Most High is going to correct that. So the nations need to repent and get back in alignment with the ways of the Most High, lest it be too late. And his fury that he will rising out of his slumber and begin to judge the nations as he said he would. So we, we're trying to get out of the way. <laughs> That's why he said, be separate and come out from among them. The only thing that's holding it back is because so much of his children that he loved and the promise he made to our ancestors is that he wouldn't destroy us with the wicked. So he's telling us, wake up. I'm going to give you a chance. But if you're caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, I'm going to judge you, too. If you want to be under the Esau influence, if you want to be like Lot, if you want to be like Cain, if you want to follow those examples, whether from a bloodline situation or a mentality situation, and you don't want to walk according to the ways and create a new pathway where I can give you true riches and true glory. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. So we're not saying being poor. I'm against being poor, 100%. But we need to know where the value and the riches come from. It comes from the most high. So I want to dead that thought process because I don't want to be typecast into thinking that I'm saying get away from riches. Nah, we need all the money. Get back to cash because it's reparation. It's ours anyway. That's the way I look at it. It's just been in the wrong energy spaces or the wrong currency in the wrong hands and the most high is doing a new thing and we're seeing it happen all over the world whether you look at bricks or whether you look at different things and people in there probably like nah that can never happen because of this and because of that or because anything can happen anything can happen he said pride comes before the fall don't be caught up in your pride because you will fall on every level flee to egypt and stay there until I bring you word. So you don't move until the word causes you to move. The most high will bring the word and then you have to be obedient. So verse 13, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Then verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child obedience by what night and departed into Egypt. I'm going back. And because he was in alignment, remember we talked about earlier being in the aligned spaces. That means sometimes physically. In certain locations, you have to be at the right place. Like, you know, I traveled to Los Angeles because I was going to school, but most people came to Los Angeles because they wanted a better opportunity for their career in the entertainment space. 
then you want to be in the right location. It was harder 10 years ago to thrive in the entertainment industry if you were living in Milwaukee or any other city, sometimes in New York, but New York had its own kind of thing. Or if you want to work in government, you want to work in D.C., where I came from, whatever that may be. Each place has its region. And that's why they went back to those safe spaces, not only because of physical location, but because it's portal cities as well. It's something that the Most High did. And we talked about that with Jacob, how he would name a certain location and call it Bethel or call this place that based on what was happening spiritually. And that's how we need to operate. What is happening in this area? What has happened in this area? So that you can understand the culture of the city, because the culture of the city is dependent on what happened in that area. What was the spiritual, mental ear markers or events that happened that causes this particular area to be the way it is? Why is California about go-getters and such? That energy? Because it was a land where they came for searching for gold, a wild, wild west. So that's why that energy is here. We, we, we about it. All those who come out here, you got to be about your business and doing what you do in order to succeed and to, to operate or you're going to be on the outskirts. Get it or be got sort of mentality out here in, this, in, the, in the West. So he traveled by night in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 2 and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Most High through the prophets. So the Most High always speaks through his prophets. It's so people, when they get mad at your words or things that you're saying, that's not for you to worry about because you're speaking on behalf of the Most High and that energy is penetrating. And they said the word, it's like a two-edged sword and it cuts through and it touches people in a certain way where they get upset or they come in or whatever, however they respond. That's a spiritual battle that's going on. But you speak on behalf of the Most High as best as you perceive it in your understanding and let the Most High's energy, let the Most High's power be revealed and manifested through your words. Just make sure your heart is pure and that you're doing it for the right reasons and you're not being like an Esau because you can always tap into an Esau spirit. There's bloodline Esau and then there's mentality Esau. And we've all been guilty of that in one way or another, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. That's why we find ourselves in these captivities. But as the way most high is waking us up, we have to when you know better, you do better. So that's what we're working on. And that's what we're walking through. So out of Egypt, I have called my son. That was the prophetic word that came. So the Most High still controls all of the lands and he has a purpose for each land to do their job according to his overall divine plan. But you can't impose your thoughts, your ways into the ways of the Most High and think that you're going to be able to succeed. It's not going to happen, nor will it work. So we need to be aware of that. And then we go down to verse two or chapter two, verse 16. Then Herod, when he had saw he was deceived by the wise man, was exceedingly angry Oh, man, uh, when that when that that house Negro get angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children, this was his own people. How many of us are doing things that are desecrating our own people, maybe not physically killing them, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally killing them? That's what a lot of what we see today, even in the entertainment space, a lot of genocide of the mind, the, the corruption of the young, the youth. When we see little babies talking about two years old pound town and we're like well that's not me that's and it's true parents need to be better and not allow their children to be have access to them we can't expect entertainers to raise the child and i'm a, i agree with that on a lot of fronts but at the same time what is it producing in the mentality in the spiritual space of our people even those who are singing the music after they're done with them what happens to them so it's it's greater than that so it is not to take the responsibility off of 
but it requires us to be more responsible as a community, as a people, and change the narrative and the way we do things internally. Like I said, we can't blame, always keep blaming other groups of people, blaming the white man, blaming them for this and da da da. Nah, you take responsibility for what you're doing and change what you're doing. Then we can deal with those issues at another time. But until we deal with internally, we're going to always be at a disadvantage, always be in a victim mentality and so forth and so on. That's going to continue to happen until we can take responsibility for ourselves. So Herod, who was a son of Esau, which was from the line of Isaac, was killing his own because of greed. That's what Esau was about. And you're seeing his his energy still in his people, in his bloodline, in his in his seed. So he went around and killed who were in the Bethlehem and all its districts from two years and under, according to that time, which he determined from the wise men. So he's like, everybody two years and older, kill all the male children. That's why the Most High sent word through his angel to tell them to go to Egypt, get out of that district, get out of those districts and stay out there till I tell you to come back. That was fulfilled by the prophet Jeremiah when he said, I hear a voice in Rama." lamentation weeping so this is basically the same song we hear that Peter James or more popularly sung by Nina Simone strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees that song is basically the same song so you're seeing human beings haven't changed things haven't changed because if you don't correct history or understand history you are bound you will repeat it so we're seeing generations of this who hangs from the trees. Where did our savior get hung on a tree? Where are the brothers lynching on a tree? Who helped the son of the most high, the firstborn, the king of the Eber or the Hebrew, the king of the FBCs, Yeshua, the, the savior, the Mesendesi, which is in a Kosa dialect, meaning savior, the sin destroyer hung from a tree helped by Simon who was an Afro person because that was his own people you helped him out you helped him out who was the ascendancy he was the son the second son of Adam who was Adam Adam was born in the garden in east that encompassed all of Ethiopia and not just the the country or the, the constricted area of Ethiopia as we know today but it was the whole landmass that was Ethiopia this is the Bible Go and read it. Learn who you are. That's Afro history as we're coming up on Afro history as we move into February. This is the historical documentation of the ancestor. Very, very important. In verse 19 of chapter two. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel appeared in a dream to Joe. And that, that was years. So he had to stay put in Egypt for at least two or three years. If not more. Arise, take the young child. And go to the land of Israel, a.k.a. the land of the FBCs or the firstborn of creation, Adam's seed or Jacob. Get rid of the J, Jacob, or as the Yorubas say, Akobi. And I keep re repeating this so that you can do your own research and that you can understand how to see through these translations and how when it went from the original scroll languages, whether it be Gosa dialects or Southern Bantu languages into Hebrew, into Aramaic, 
into Greek, into English, all the way through. We know that game. You know the game when there's like six people in a circle and you tell one person a secret and by the time it gets to the last person, it's gone. If it happens amongst us, how much more? So we know how to read through the scriptures. Very, very important. Those who sought the child is dead. So he arose, took the young child and his mother and came to the land. So he was obedient. When the angel said something, he took it and he was obedient. In verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned again in a dream, he turned to the region of Galilee. So that's when he went and became a part of the Galileans. Now I want to fast forward into Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, it says, these 12, the Messendacy, the Savior or Yeshua, sent out and commanded them saying, do not go by the way of the Gentiles. So the Savior is telling his disciples, do not go by the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter into the city of the Samaritans. So he's saying, like he told one of the, the women who was asking for him to do a blessing, he said, everything I do right now is for the lost sheep. It is not for anyone else. So he was very discriminatory if we would look at it from a Western lens. But it wasn't about that. He was about trying to get them back in alignment and covenant with the Most High and his ways. So when you read the scriptures, you have the capacity and the emotional intelligence and the integrity to read the scriptures outside of Western context as best as you can. Although that's difficult because we are so Westernized. But you have to give yourself some room in your understanding to realize I can't approach the scriptures the way I would see it right now. Because a lot of times people are like, well, I don't know, understand how God could do this. So I don't understand because you're trying to understand it from a Western cultural standpoint. And there's not a book from the West. It's from the garden. It's in the East. It's from a different group of people. It's from a different view. So if you are a, a, a lion, you are you going to understand the interpretation of an elephant? It's not. You can't. You may be able to understand we both eat grass. That's about it. And there's some other things that the elephant is going to have to help me understand. And I'm going to have to be patient because he's slower than me or whatever it may be. Or he's smaller than me. From the elephant standpoint, the lion is smaller than me. So there has to be a given goal. It has to be both ways. Do not go in the ways of the Gentiles, but enter into the city of the Samaritan. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Akobi. Get my lost sheep. That's what I'm here for. And go to them and tell them that the kingdom is at hand, meaning the kingdom is here. What the Most High promised to Abram is here. And I'm the one who's bringing it. That's why the Savior is so important. That's why the Savior is so awesome. Then in verse 18, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for the testimony of them and to the Gentiles. So you're going to be brought before governors. He's talking about Herod and them talking about your own, meaning your own are going to go against you. He said, look at it. Look what he said. Beware of men. Um, beware of the men for their counsel to deliver you up. And that there would be. Um, and scourge you because people will go against you. We're going to read that a little bit further down. So verse 18, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. And Herod, once again, like I told you, he was born in 72 BC, according to the nations in Edomir and the south of Judea. And Herod's father was by the descent of Edomite. He was the firstborn um, mother and his ancestor was converted to Judaism. Herod was raised as a Jew or as a Hebrew or as a firstborn. So he was one of us. 
He was one of them. Edomite, but he was of Esau's line. So in verse 21, what did he say? Now brother will be, will deliver a brother to death and father his child. But look at that. Family members will fight. They will give each other up. They will enslave one another. They will hate each other. And that's what we see, how, how our brothers are killing each other. And our sisters, we're killing our own self. Now, that happens in other races as well. Europeans do it. Asians do it. People been fighting and warring amongst themselves all the time. But in this particular captivity and in the way the Most High created us, it's not supposed to be at this level. But this is because of the brokenness that we've been experiencing that is just on auto repeat. And we can't get on our feet to have any type of autonomy or self-determination because we're, we're so internally traumatized and broken that we have not been able to get ourselves together. But we have to take ownership and responsibility that we are our biggest problem. And once we realize that, then we can begin to maneuver certain things and get ourselves in, in, in alignment to then be able to move forward in what the Most High called us to do. So the Savior was telling us that brother will deliver a brother to death and a father his child. And some of us do it not physically, but we give them over in different ways. And the child will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by many. But he that endures to the end will be saved. He that can maneuver through this will be saved as I come to bring the kingdom. The most authority above all governments, above all nations is the kingdom. And that's what the savior was teaching was the kingdom. He was a threat because he was coming outside of the human constructs and he was moving by divine orders, divine rulings. And that's what he called us to in second Peter two, nine, what did he say? You are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that call out about darkness into the marvelous light. What was Peter trying to teach? What was Saul or Paul trying to teach in Colossians? In Ephesians, you are seated in heavenly places far above principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, all of that you are above and not just in the spirit space, but even in the physical space. But because we haven't gotten our spiritual space in order, the physical has been ruling and we've been living by the physical. So it's been hard for us to redirect. But the most high, once again, is waking us up and we're thankful that the dry bones will live again and he's going to breathe his spirit on us and we will become an exceeding great army. So this is not the end for us. We are being sustained by the power of his grace. And as we walk back in obedience, he will realign us. We will pick this up next week.